next patient is a 45-year-old woman who was diagnosed with an ERPR-negative inflammatory breast cancer at age 34 and was treated with TAC chemotherapy and then high-dose chemotherapy with stem cell rescue, but shortly thereafter developed post-mastectomy chest wall recurrence, which was found to be HER2 positive. The patient was treated with trastuzumab monotherapy for three years, but then developed progressive disease and a single brain metastasis that was removed. Since that time, she's been managed with repeat courses of radiation therapy to the chest wall and back, and a variety of anti-HER2 therapies, either alone or with chemotherapy, including lapatinib and capecitabine, trastuzumab with a couple of different chemotherapeutic agents, and participation in a clinical trial of lapatinib combined with trastuzumab. The patient is currently being treated with trastuzumab and bevacizumab, and Dr. Geyer described her current condition. The concerning thing today was that she seems to be evolving a brachial plexopathy. Just as I understand it, over the past couple of weeks, progressive weakness of her right arm, I had to hold her arm up so he could examine the axilla that yeah, I think that undoubtedly is due to tumor infiltration. She has severe, severe disease across her chest wall, up the neck, and it's been extensively radiated, so it really it's not likely that radiation therapy is going to be able to help that symptom. And indeed, it's possible that some of the symptoms may be due to prior radiation therapy, but I'm sure it's progressive disease is the main driver in examining the patient. What's her support systems? She has wonderful family. She has a husband who is so supportive, who changes the dressing over the a huge gap in her back, whom I would have thought he would never do that. I know them very well. He's an executive. When she was diagnosed, they had two babies. One of them now is in college, and the other son is in 10th grade, doing extremely well, winning two-thirds of all the awards they gave for his class two weeks ago. Therefore, she clearly has seen her two children grow up and be a prominent part in their lives. I don't know what she did 10 years ago, but she stopped working completely and she will just take them to sports and be with them. And they spend trips flying all over the world. What's her state of mind? She's still very strong, but I felt today the hint. I almost saw tears in her eyes, which I've never really seen in this patient. And I know her very well. She's not as worried about dying because probably she's not going to die soon. She has no visceral disease at all, but she's very worried about the pain and the morbidity this will create for her. She's not really used to taking narcotics. I realized today she's only taking Advil. I actually thought she is on something. Probably I gave her something. She never took it. This is the kind of person she is. She is very active in fundraising for cancer and marching. And, but I think she feels that her quality of life is going to deteriorate. And that's why I asked Chuck, what could we do now that response is so important to us to maybe improve her quality of life when in the past it was never really an emergency treating skin metastasis? So do you have any ideas, Chuck? Yeah, I mean, I think the Avastin was certainly a good idea based on some of the stuff that Mark Pegram reported with the combination. Of course, the concern in her is that open area on her back I just peeked under the bandage, but it's probably 10 by 10 centimeter. I mean, it is a large open wound that has to be cared for. And she seems to be developing progressive symptoms on the Avastin, 
and really there's some subcutaneous nodules at the edge that I don't think have been radiated that would be a pretty good measurement. So I guess my sense in listening to it and looking at it was I think Dave Aston was a good idea, but because of the wound, I wouldn't hang in there too long with it. And even at this point, I think it would be worth going to chemotherapy agents that she's not yet seen, exabepilone, carboplatin, or options. You know, I think generally we are very much into doing single agents, but to me, she's afraid. As Otif said, I think the loss of the function of the arm, she's very alarmed. She's getting appointments with neurosurgeons. She's seeking somebody to get her arm to, and we're discussing, should she get an MRI and these sorts of things. So that's appropriately, she's very afraid of that. So that's why we talked about that. And I think I would try to be aggressive at this point and bring in alternative chemotherapy because I think that tumor reduction is the only thing that's going to help possibly maintain function of the arm. What's it like for you to take care of her, Aitif? This has been an inspiring woman to me and many other patients in our cancer center. She really is. As I said, she's very active. She refused to give up about anything. She took the treatment. She thought studies. I mean, from the point of view of you as a physician, dealing with somebody in such a horrible situation. It was very, very traumatic today. To see her not being able to use her arm. I mean, I always gave her a hug and she couldn't give me a hug today because of her arm. I mean, I always, you know, sometimes even twice during the same visit. It's very emotional. I mean, I can relate to her and her husband. I know her husband very well, very strong man. They have two kids similar in age to my kids. For I always, I know I'm not supposed to do that. But unfortunately, this is very traumatic. How do you deal with it personally? How do you, you know, kind of... <sighs> you know, it's the other patients in whom we succeed. I mean, she's a winner. She's a winner a hundred times over. Living 11 years with a cancer that never responded to anything initially. You know, thank God for her septin. I believe in faith. I believe in destiny. I believe that as long as we try our best to help ourselves and patients, that is okay. I just talk to my wife a lot. I pray a lot. I'm not, you know, fanatically religious person, but I believe in destiny and in God having a plan for all of us. I really do. I feel happy for her that she went through this having two babies almost through college. I remember speaking to her in 98 and her telling me, would I live a year or two? And at that time, actually, I couldn't really tell her she would. With a hertinopositive tumor in 98, there was Herceptin. We didn't know it's that wonderful of a drug, especially with the brain mats, which she had in 02, six and a half years ago. I actually thought at that time that could be the end. But she has come across, but I am very worried about her now. What's it like for you, Chuck? I don't know how often you've been in the situation of sort of looking over another physician's shoulder where it's not your patient, but you're kind of, I imagine you might be thinking about yourself and being in this kind of a situation. What was it like for you to see this woman today? Oh, you could tell very quickly. I mean, she is a special individual because when we walked in the room, she immediately was joking with me about Pittsburgh. She and her husband lived in Pittsburgh. She was asking me stuff about the South Side and being a newcomer to Pittsburgh. I just know it's over there. I had no idea. (laughs) Missed the joke completely. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Missed it completely. But, you know, I mean, that's what she was thinking that way but as we were talking and then you couldn't help but notice the arm, the weakness on the arm because going in, I wasn't In the history, I wasn't aware of any arm problems, so I'm thinking, oh, you know, 
she got a brain met up there, it's break up, and then once she took off the shirt and you could see the disease. This, again, this gets back to why I guess patients like this are what make me tend to be aggressive with local regional therapy. This is a patient who's going to unfortunately suffer a great deal, even with state-of-the-art palliation. And when you see it, it reinforces my aggressiveness, I guess, for doing that. You know, I mean, it was tried here. It's not going to work every time. But to not try and then see people going through that is something that's very, very difficult. So I'm curious what this experience was like for the two of you. I imagine you haven't done this before. Atif, what was it like for you? Oh, it was wonderful. It was a great experience, especially the fact that we dedicated the whole day for just these six patients. It was wonderful. He gave me a couple of good ideas. I mean, I see value for something like that. It's impossible to be able to do it in every practice in this country with every doctor. But maybe, you know, we can establish something like virtual tumor boards. We can actually discuss these difficult cases. But it was a very good experience. Even the staff were excited about him coming and the patients Googled him. They knew exactly who he is when he came. What was it like for you, Chuck? Oh, I mean, definitely it was the first time I had gone into someone's office like this, so a new experience, but very enjoyable morning, and I could see that our interactions were not being altered by me. This wasn't a show for me. These patients were falling into this usual pattern of discussion, so it was clear that Atif spends time with his patients, and there's that relationship there that they have, that trust. You see these remarkable patients. I mean, it's a sense of privilege that you have when you see, you know, we we don't have all the tools we need, but, oh, we have so much more now than we used to have when I went through training. And, you know, I think that with the hope, it is realistic hope of continued improvements with research and better understanding. I mean, it's just, it's incredible.